I was probably 25, my brother had the foresight to say, hey, over the next two years, invest in building as many relationships as you can in your industry. And that could be from sports owners to team presidents to other athletes with no expectation other than try to try to build something organic. So you guys share commonalities, obviously, in sport with your peers on field and on court. And with the, the, the business owners and team presidents, like this is also of interest to you, Paul. So learn about their business. Paul Rabel is the world's leading lacrosse player, a business entrepreneur and co-creator of the PLL, the premier lacrosse league with his brother, Mike. And he joins the bond this week. It's an honest conversation of learning, teaching yourself imperatives to keep the PLL thriving. We also touch on what Paul is constantly exploring and thinking about. It includes esports, fantasy, and gambling. The WWE even pops up in this conversation as we dig into fan engagement. And he shares some great stories about his life on social media over the past decade. Here's Paul. Biggest learning for us. We knew this going in, but building a pro sports league from scratch, which embodies the league identity, the identity of teams, hiring coaches, signing players up, rolling out a full schedule, bringing on a network partner like NBC, bringing on corporate partners, really emphasizing the importance and operating of a great fan experience. Like all of that is tremendously hard Mm. and difficult. And each location, given our decision to go tour base is unique and its own event in and of itself. And to put it this way is like a traditional city-based model. You're able to, uh, you know, you're able to cut one deal with a ticketing partner. You're able to do one food and bad deal. Get your uh, merchandise set up and right on a week-to-week basis so they can execute. And same thing with parking. Each of those experiences for us every weekend was different. Hmm. So uh, we knew it was going to be hard, but it was it was really really hard. Um, but uh, exciting in the amount that we learned and the way that we improved uh, and our NPS. Uh, averaging a 72 over the season, which is considered world-class, shows that uh, we did some things right. Hmm. And, and now, we'll, we'll keep going. Yeah. Well, I was going to say that the biggest surprise yeah. um, was that ticket sales, no matter the league or the team, are what is a white-knuckle business. And uh, it requires a, a, a certain type of individual to lead an inside outside sales unit. Um, there's B2B, there's, there's B2C. Um, there's understanding the nuance of a kind of a modern weekend competitive environment where festivals have popped up more over the last decade than ever. Television experience is so incredible. Um, and so the, our, our biggest surprise was that, um, you know, that business alone um, is, is one worth continuing to resource into the future. And so we, we knew that our, in other words, we knew our product was exciting and that we had this sticky audience that, that loves lacrosse and spends, you know, lion's share of their time year round following and consuming lacrosse, but to get them up and out of their chair into one of our seats of a game, it, a lot of it's just manual labor one at a time. And, uh, and, and that was uh, somewhat surprising because we're so used to as a fan on the outside, not as an operator on the inside. Um, you know, 
we we like a product, we tend to go buy a ticket to go see it. Um, but th- there's a lot more psychological nuance uh, that goes into it. Well, what was it, what was your last year at Hopkins? What year was that? 2008. Okay, so in in 11 years, from playing and investing and being a brand ambassador, what, what, what experience do you think in those 11 years helped you the most in taking this step forward? Obviously, you have your brother and I'm sure a world-class team and staff and investors, but for yourself personally, in, in trying to comprehend the magnitude of building a league, is there a... Is there a class at Hopkins? Is it a particular investment? Is it, what, what do you think is one of the areas where you have learned the most over the last 10 years to help you in thinking through this? Yeah, I would say that it's a combination of nature and nurture. So nature, I tell people this, is uh, like being in sports is exciting. Everyone wants to be in sports. There's very limited inventory available, and that's typically why if you want to get into sports and if you're out there listening, you should, you should enter on the ticketing side. Mm. Um, and, but what, what, going back to my, my comment, we can dive into that later if you'd like, but nature is that I have always been very interested in media and care a lot about marketing. And so I learned going through the, you know, the antiquated traditional school system that I excelled in classes where I had organic interest in. And I wasn't great in classes where there wasn't. And it just so happens that I am really interested in media, sports, and marketing. Um, So I feel that I'm on the path of my career to excelling in a category that allows me to spend most of my time there. So that's the nature part. Then the nurture part was when I was probably 25, my brother had the foresight to say, hey, over the next two years – invest in building as many relationships as you can in your industry. And that could be from sports owners to team presidents to other athletes with no expectation other than try to work, try to build something organic. So you guys share commonalities, obviously in sport and with your peers on field and on court and with the, the, the business owners and team presidents, like this is also of interest to you, Paul. So learn about their business. So I spent two years building those relationships, but the biggest thing was, okay, how do you, how do you do that? Well, you got to go to where they are. So I was financing and, uh, Dave, you know, this. I, I was, I was paying for my own trip out to South by Southwest so I could kind of hang by the coattails of Octagon and Octagon consulting and go into these panels and listen to them. And then that evolved into a place where, okay, you know, there's this lacrosse player here taking notes at you know a sports gambling panel and it's South by Southwest five years ago. Let's let's learn more about this kid in a corner. And then I started getting asked to speak at these panels. So I just took a ton of notes and uh, and used that nurture or use that nature that I had around sports media uh, marketing and began to nurture it through relationships and and uh, getting in front of as many experts as possible. And over those couple of years that you were doing that, which of those folks out there truly inspired you or even people in the last five years that have inspired you that you would call you're a fan, a role model, a mentor, or just a peer, but that you learned yeah. from too? Gosh, there are, uh, there are so many. I feel really grateful. I mean, folks like yourself to Phil DePisciato and as an Octagon athlete, I got a lot of access to the executives, uh, one of the largest sports agencies in the world. But 
uh, a gentleman who's invested in a PLL who runs sports at CAA is Mike Levine and the industry knows him as Vino. And he played lacrosse at Cornell. We connected uh, several years ago when I launched my podcast and uh, I reached out to Vino uh, to, to tell him about it, but to also see if I could get some of his athletes on it, like Dwayne Wade and co. Um, and he was like, Hey man, I, I love what you're doing. I played the cross at Cornell. I was like, of course I know that. So I began that relationship with him. And then, then there's guys that, that came elsewhere um, where literally I knock on the door of someone I know. So I'll give you an example. So I met Scott O'Neill, um, who's now the, the CEO of HBSE um, and basically runs the 76ers and the Devils and uh, all the facilities attached to that. Scott's an example of a guy who came over from Teambo in the NBA and built his career around ticket sales. And you know, he's an HBS guy, so super, super sharp, but uh, grew up in the business. And uh, like Al Guido and, and you know, kind of that whole wolf pack, they started in ticket sales and then now they're you know, big um, you know, sports giants. But I built a relationship with Scott. I always wanted to meet David O'Connor, who now sits on our board for the PLL. He was a former partner at CAA on the entertainment side. And then he was the CEO of MSG. And I asked Scott O'Neill over email if he could make that intro because Doc played lacrosse at Dartmouth. Get in front of Doc. Doc invites me over to coffee at his new cobblestone apartment in New York. We sit for several hours and talk about the PLL a couple of years ago and then Doc ends up making an investment and now he's a board member. So I would have never gone to Scott O'Neill to meet David O'Connor to invest in a league that I hadn't even conceptualized yet. Um, but the, all of those relationships, they're important uh, to not only build ground up, but to nurture over time. And uh, each of those, and you know, Eric Nardini, who's now an advisor uh, of the PLL and the CEO of Barstool, when I met her, she was still at Yahoo. Uh, but few people know how to monetize media as well as Erica and that goes into tangible goods like their merchandise strategy to how they're selling their podcast network. So I, I, I do believe the power of what we've built has most to do with the amalgam of information that we pull from our networks and our attention to detail across other categories, not only in sports, but music and entertainment. And that, and that has a lot to do with those relationships. And a few of those guys you mentioned were lacrosse uh, players themselves and certainly mm. fans of the sport. As you went around this year, did you, did you feel there, are there more fans of lacrosse or are there just more engaged fans of lacrosse? Well, uh, I think both. And we're, we're excited about the latter because I think that has a lot to do with what we've built in our partnership with NBC and the innovative broadcast and then just the mass distribution of our games is you take your, your power user and they become more engaged, which is an exciting thing. I, I spent a lot of time thinking about the WWE and I've got mm. some great relationships over there. Uh, but talk about a, an audience size that isn't as big as the, necessarily the NFL or, or soccer at a global stage, but uh, you could argue they're more sticky and their per cap is higher. Um, and that, and that's just, and that's a product of the way that they engage their audience in, in stadiums and their in venue experience to their social media. And they have the largest social media uh, total audience, at least uh, in the world. And so uh, that, that's a pretty amazing case study. Um, but we, uh, we are excited about our, our lacrosse fans that are engaged and then new 
net new fans is what we call it at least was, uh, was part of our strategy in, in getting a major network partner where I think a lot of people out of the gates considered us, uh, you know, digitally and socially native, uh, you know, not only core group of executives and operators, but players and, and league. And so they assumed that we would have done kind of an exclusive deal with one of the emerging tech pl- platforms in Google, Amazon, Facebook, um, or even a, a Twitch, which would fall under the Amazon umbrella. But we felt like our sport needed product validation, which was, which was really important. Because if you're not a big four, you know, getting that product validation should be first and foremost. And the second was you know, traditional scale in, in, in media. So you get that with a network. And NBC has been an awesome partner for us. And you mentioned social there and watching how WWE engages fans. And you're, you're a social first guy, uh, active certainly on Twitter. And I know from YouTube and just video and probably one of the first. Now there's you know, hundreds, if not thousands of athletes and business, uh, athlete first, business second, maybe that are walking around with video crews. You've been doing that for quite some time. So curious about you and using social to connect with your fan base as Paul Rabel, the person as well as PLL. Yeah. Yeah. So I appreciate that. I've been, uh, it's been a fascinating, you know, 12 years now being on social pretty actively and consistently. And my strategy changes as I, I like to think as, as quickly as the platforms change their algorithms. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have to really, and whether you're a brand or an athlete or league or a team, uh, because it's always changing. So an example of that is I was posting three times a day, five years ago, because, you know, the, the executives at, at Facebook on the sports side, you know, would have a, a, a pretty credible argument that, if the more you post, the more you're going to show up on people's feeds, the more likely you are to build a following, the more likely you are to get engaged with. And, uh, and now, uh, once they, you know, turned on, uh, or, or switched over from a feed that was strictly on a timing of post to a feed based on relevance, um, you know, the importance of, of cadence, uh, diminished a little bit. So that's an example of, of like trying to follow the algorithms and, and post wisely. Uh, but I graduated, as you called out earlier, in 2008, and that was at the launch of Facebook fan pages. So previously, previous to Instagram, Twitter, um, YouTube was still just primarily a cat video scene. And uh, I got on Facebook because lacrosse, or I liked it, and then lacrosse didn't have distribution at the time. So it was pretty irrelevant, especially pro lacrosse. At the time, people were asking me in 2008 what that stick was I was carrying around. Uh, much less, hey, who do you play for? Uh, Ten years later, uh, everyone knows lacrosse, and uh, we're now I- introducing them to a pro game, um, even though one existed. So social media has been in, in, in insanely important to me in sharing that message and connecting with a lacrosse audience that otherwise wouldn't have any access through traditional media, linear media, print, television, radio. Um, so that's why I was on it. And then it evolved over time. So I taught myself how to shoot and edit. I had never, uh, I didn't have a video team until like probably three years ago when I started to, you know, gain a little bit of, uh, um, you know, risk aggression and, and invest in a, and building a, a company around my brand. So hiring a chief of staff, hiring a producer and editor. But, uh, so I was teaching myself final cut, um, premiere, and, uh, and I had my own DSLR and I had a partnership with GoPro. So I had like the, 
the hardware and the software chops. Um, what I'll say as we fast forward to the league and how we think about social is, uh, is that our, our games are the holy grail. So our partnership with NBC, when they live on NBC main network, NBC Sports or NBC Gold, uh, we spend a lot of time understanding Nielsen ratings and, and viewership trends and your program lead-ins and outros and all that stuff. But you can really capture scale um, through social but that only can come to life if you have the broadcast and moments mm. in the broadcast. So we think about it in two ways. Uh, one is that, of course, ratings are super important. And our ratings have been great this year. And our OTT subscription through NBC Gold and partnership with them has been fantastic. Um, but there's still a, a, a cap to, to total audience delivery, depending on the network that you're on. But you can take those moments now depending on how quick your team is, get it on social and capitalize and really reach this viral effect uh, using the same you know, highlight or goal that happened during the game. So we go from television to social and we reach like this you know, 360 scale. When you wake up in the morning, how many minutes into your eyes are open until you check your first social platform? <laughs> I'm trying to change that. Um, today I, I went on it and I, uh, and I, and I got off of it quickly, but it's probably inside of like 30 seconds. Um, I try not to do that. Um, it's, it's, it's different being on the West coast now. Yep. Um, you know, I, cause I, I, I originally earlier in, in 2019 would panic when I wake up because it's three hours behind major, uh, major news and, and social doesn't really turn off. Um, but from a headspace standpoint, I, uh, I, I try not to touch social until I'm a good hour or so in, into my morning. <laughs> and you, uh, and we're talking social platforms, and you talked OTT, so technology, uh, and from a not just with PLL. I mean, you you invest in businesses uh, and look at technologies all the time. Curious what you have seen, either an investment or it doesn't have to be one, as it relates to new tech and either in and around the fan experience, like what really excites you that you say, wow, I, I can't believe there was no such thing. It wasn't even contemplated a couple of years ago and wow, it could be the future. Hmm. There, there's a lot to that. So let me start with the uh, property that kind of lives exclusively with new tech and that's esports. So I haven't made an investment in this space. I don't know it quite well enough from a, uh, from a venture standpoint, but I do pay a lot of attention to esports as it relates to uh, that property being a forward ind indicator of where I think traditional sports will go. Um, and here's what I mean by that. Um, I'll go into the example of uh, Ninja recently leaving Twitch over to, to Microsoft. And uh, that reminded me of 20 years ago, uh, the first person to, to bring an audience with him over to a paywall, which was Howard Stern, uh, leaving terrestrial radio over to Sirius and uh, how that was talked about a lot and converted. Um, and Howard Stern was essentially the first athlete that, at least in our world, David, where, uh, you know, he became more powerful than, than the entity or the platform that he existed on. Um, and we're seeing that trend more and more, not only in team and individual sports, but we see it with esports and how it's just taken off 
But you talk about something like Fortnite that's free to access but can do a billion dollars north north of a billion dollars in revenue um, because of the way that the experience is and the ability to uh, you know kind of pay as you go on platform. So I, I think a lot about the future of stadium sports where uh, as much as ticketing is being disrupted by uh, kind of on-demand and discounting and auctioning platforms, uh, as well as new trends for millennials and Gen Zs, they're far less likely to purchase PSLs and season tickets than uh, their predecessors. So how that will evolve as we see merchandise continue to boom in sports, um, concessions being kind of tinkered with from MLS to NFL owners changing based on the property. Um, and then obviously like you have the other categories in parking and food and bev where PepsiCo just announced a couple of new deals with their stadium, with their venue partners. Um, so like, where will that go from a monetization standpoint? I find pretty exciting. I look at these sports as a leader. The other two are gambling and fantasy. Uh, fantasy you know, has been around for a while. People know how that engages the fan, which leads to more viewership and watch time and kind of interactivity and sponsorship opportunities. Sports gambling, we're at the precipice of, of I think, where we'll be in five years, which is going to be uh, a key driver to not only revenue for, for league properties, and, and, uh, but also for opportunity for networks to harness and drive more viewership and, and greater watch time. Um, so that's cool. The other, uh, the other tech that's kind of away from the three that I just mentioned that we're figuring out internally with our social team is, is a company TikTok. TikTok is like a pure play Gen Z platform. Snapchat indexes on Gen Z better than anyone else because they have more scale than TikTok. But being able to, and this is where I'm like aging out, I'm 33, is like being able to see how that the UI UX of TikTok and kind of like the, the user fingerprint moves through is, is pretty unreal. So when I was thinking, you know, a couple of years ago, look, Facebook, Google, um, Facebook and Google primarily uh, are going to be in place even through potential government breakup, even if like Instagram spins out of Facebook, then we call it Facebook, Instagram and Google or if YouTube spins out of Google. Same thing. Like those those platforms have so much scale that they're not going anywhere. And it's going to be really difficult for a new platform to enter without just being acquired by one of them. But TikTok, man, it's crazy. So we're trying to understand that more. But to give you an idea, we have uh, one of our employees who's done a fantastic job of building the PLL's TikTok uh, profile. And overnight, we picked up 30,000 followers. And our first video did 1.3 million views. Whoa. Inside of, inside of 24, it's 48 hours of launching the platform. Unbelievable. Because the shareability, and I, again, I think like the, the UI of that platform is probably closer, for those that aren't familiar, probably closer to Snapchat. And they're dis they, they index more on discovery than who you're following. Hmm. So if you put a video out and it's really good, it's going to get in front of everyone on the platform. And that's what happened with us. And we're like, holy shit, like we got to be long here. Um, so that, those, those are a number of answers to you, hopefully helpful. Yeah, and you get, you're busy. You got a day job. You're running a league. You're playing. <laughs> well, how, are, how are you finding, how are you learning on eSports, fantasy, gambling, TikTok? Where, where do you spend your time to yeah. figure that out? 
So we, we do a pretty good job. Uh, and this is where my co-founder and older brother, Mike, is the CEO of our business, building the right organizational structure um, and, uh, and kind of weekly meetings and subcommittees around subject matter that we think is important. So right now we have subcommittees built around um, not only new tech, but specified to sports gambling and fantasy. Um, and so it's, it's incumbent on uh, the leader of that subcommittee to do uh, most of the research beyond kind of the high level stuff that, that I can share with you and other folks. And then they get really granular and we set up meetings around town, whether it's LA or New York, to glean as much as possible. And then you begin partnership conversations and you figure out uh, to your best of the ability, the, the, the financing involved, the return on the investment. Is it a long-term play? Is it a media grab, which is really important and very long-term? Or is it something that can generate revenue for us in the short term? Um, so I'd say it's a combination of those. And, and let's go full circle from beginning of what did you learn and what was the most surprising to as you head towards season two, what are the imperatives for you? Yeah, so we're, uh, I mean, it's imperative that you improve. Uh, in sports, it's unique because we've hit and exceeded most of our metrics. And, uh, you know, at our last board meeting, our board, Mike kind of talked to me afterward. He was like, that doesn't ever really happen, but our board gave us uh, an ovation. And <laughs> we're, we're kind of like, all right, you know, Mike gets so, so nervous and he's paranoid as most like great entrepreneurs are. Um, even though we were hitting our metrics, it was just kind of like, okay, you know, board meetings are, are difficult, uh, but they're really excited. So in sports, though, you can become overzealous pretty quickly. So why I bring that up is uh, we want to improve, but want to cautiously improve because we did build this league from scratch in eight months. And so there's a lot, as exciting as it is, like there's a lot more that we can do with each of our six, six clubs from continuing to develop their brand identities to uh, wrap around greater merch strategy and engage with our, our customer base, which is really large right now. I mean, we have a, a total audience of uh, a total audience of followers across our league team and players of 3.4 million. And so that's, it's like a, it's a pretty great uh, foundation of people to be able to interact with more deeply versus trying to like cast and make that 10 in year two. Um, but what we're going to look at, and we already are working on, are uh, obviously venues. We'll probably renew at 70% of our venues. Uh, we want to go into new markets. That's the value of being tour-based is getting our game and our players in new markets. And we've had a lot of inbound interest from CBBs. And so there's like a, a really great opportunity for us to capitalize, not only from a business perspective, but from an audience and, and reach standpoint, different than when we were doing this at this time last year, David. Like We, we just had a deck and a vision and relied on uh, some some pretty uh, passionate communication to investors to um, venues as like are these guys real or not? Why are we going to sign a, a deal with them? So excited about that. Corporate partners we're looking to add to our our list of value partners who can uh, you know we can deliver value to who we can get value from. Uh, leading in that those categories are Adidas already at least our Adidas and Gatorade Capital One and. Vineyard Vines, Corny Gorilla Glass. We've done, um, you know, campaign work with Icebreakers to Bumble to Verizon, FiOS. So building out that that group is is important. On top of those that I just mentioned, um, and then the last one is, as I've said to uh, on, on the NBC network at the end of our game, our championship game, and 
talked about it with SBJ a little bit is we are considering expanding. Um, we're inside of two weeks of, of, of making a decision, spent a lot of time with our board on it and, and with our team internally and kind of resource that appropriately, uh, figuring out coaches and players and the impact of all that. But uh, that's like the ultimate signal of growth, I think, for leagues. And that's The Bond. See you next week.